says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. And he did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. And Father, we humbly ask now as we've sang and prayed and worshipped you in other ways, help us now to continue in our worship by giving you the attention of our heart and our soul and our mind that we might hear what you would want to say to us through the word of God this morning. We thank you, God, that you love us. We thank you that we can celebrate the coming of your son, Jesus Christ. And we pray now that we would have an ear that wants to hear what you would say to each one of us personally. You know what that means for each of us standing in this room this morning. Prepare us individually and help us, Lord, to hear what you are trying to say to us. Speak to us. Bless your word, we ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, Christmas time, like many holidays, can tend to be an occasion where tradition kind of heavily comes into play. And when I mention the word tradition, of course, we're thinking about sort of the transmission of maybe customs or practices, routines that we kind of pass from one generation to another. It's those things that we maybe observe or do in a certain way as a tradition, and we do it that way year after year after year. And some of you are cringing as you're thinking about the tradition maybe that's going to come to pass again this year as it happens year after year. And look, Christmas time is one of probably the most common times a year when people keep traditions. And honestly, because of that, to sometimes, and you know what I'm talking about, to not keep the tradition or to not follow the typical practice of how we always do it, it's almost earth-shattering for some people. It's almost life-altering maybe for some families. Well, remember, sometimes changes may not only be what God himself is actually orchestrating, that God is orchestrating the change. It may actually be something that's necessary or something that we actually personally need that is actually better for us. It's God's best for us and maybe God's best for others as well, that a change would actually come to pass. Well, we see in the biblical narrative of Christmas, which is what we're looking at together this morning, that the Lord Jesus changed things. When his presence came into a situation that we're looking at in our story this morning, it was 
life-altering. It, it was earth-shattering and, and things were changed and the norm was greatly abrupted. And as, as Jesus comes into the world, it interrupts Joseph's plans. It alters Joseph's ideal of how things were supposed to happen, but all for the good. It was a good change. And listen, God has not changed and the same often happens today. When the presence of the Lord comes into a situation, in good ways, the presence of the Lord at times can interrupt our lives and it can change things and cause things to go in a way that we never expected. And we must be willing to trust God and yield obediently to his plan and to just let his will come to pass and to know that ultimately it will bring about God's best for us. Look with me back in verse 18. If you draw your attention, let's look at the text together. It tells us in verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. So this tells us, this is one of the biblical records that we have of how Jesus left heaven where he had been for all of eternity at the right hand of his father's throne there, how Jesus left heaven to come to earth to become a man and how his birth actually came to pass. This is one of the biblical records we have of the narrative of what we call the Christmas story. Other records are given to us in Luke chapters 1 and 2, in John chapter 1, which fill in other details, Matthew gives us the record primarily from Joseph's standpoint. And the reason is, is that Matthew wants to trace for the Jewish people, particularly the royal bloodline of Jesus, how he came not only from the Jews and through the tribe of Judah, but particularly, as we'll see, through the family line of King David himself, revealing, very important, how Jesus came to this earth and he lived and he ministered and he died and he rose again according to hundreds of prophecies that God gave years and years before Christ ever came to this earth, fulfilling specifically and exactly over some 300 predictions from the word of God of exactly how when the Messiah came, he would be born, where he would be born, what he would do, how he would live, how he would die, proving that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah and Savior that God was sending. So this is one of those records given to us in the word of God of how Jesus was born. Let's look at it. Verse 18, he says, after his mother Mary, <clears throat> excuse me, was betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. So look at what happens here. Joseph's personal life as a man, a good, godly Jewish man, we know that. It tells us in the verses ahead he was a just man, that he feared God, that he wanted to do what was righteous. So Joseph's personal life is interrupted. The plan he had for his life is interrupted. Why? So that God's perfect plan could come to pass in Joseph's life, which superseded anything he was thinking about. It opens by telling us here in verse 18 that Jesus' mother, Mary, it says, was betrothed to Joseph. Now take note of that word there, betrothed. A betrothal, or we might refer to that also as an espousal, is basically a term that refers to a process of entering into an engagement in a relationship. Now we have to understand in that day in ancient Israel, a betrothal, their form of engagement to be married, was much more official and binding than what our 
modern idea of engagement may be today. First and foremost, understanding the seriousness of marriage, that it is a lifelong commitment between a man and a woman, because of that, finding a suitable partner was never a, a, a light decision. It was extremely important. It was esteemed as one of the most vital decisions you would ever make. And so because of that, parents were very heavily involved and didn't just leave the, the whims of love and romance and lust to their young children. They were heavily involved in the process. And typically, marriages in that culture were actually arranged. They were arranged by parents, and then they were usually consented to and agreed to by the bride and the groom as a young man and woman. And at the time of the betrothal, a formal agreement was established either verbally spoken or in written contract, and it was entered into by all the parties involved. The groom would make a request and a declaration of his marriage intentions toward that girl. A, a dowry or a bride price was agreed upon between the father and then paid for by the groom and with three daughters I love that idea <laughs> and as this process was happening understand fathers did not just give their daughters away easily and they didn't give them away for free that young man had to prove his dedication and her value to him as a future wife so the betrothal period commonly would last about a year. When they entered into the betrothal period, the agreement, the contract was made. It was about a year long from that point. And at that moment, the, the man and the woman were considered pledged or betrothed to be husband and wife. And from a, a, uh, you know, a, a contractual sense, it was viewed that they were already husband and wife. They had just not yet consummated the marriage physically and they lived separately still during that one year period of betrothal as they were pledged to be married. Uh, that year was a time for him as a young man to make preparations to be ready to take care of a wife. And it was a time as well for her to prepare herself to become a wife and to understand her roles as a wife and a mother and what the future would hold and so forth. And also to validate her, pay attention, her personal purity that she was a virgin woman betrothed to this man who had just paid a great price to take this woman to himself as a wife. Uh, and Mary at this point would have been, understand, somewhere around culturally probably around 14 to 16 years old joseph somewhere around the age of 18 to 20 and once the betrothal was entered into that couple was considered bound to that commitment in fact the only way you could be released from that betrothal or marriage pledge was to pursue or obtain a certificate of divorce you notice actually at this point they're only betrothed they haven't gone through the process of the marriage feast and the marriage ceremony and the consummation of the marriage physically but yet you notice there the bible tells us in verse 19 it says joseph her husband again that was how they were viewed they were viewed as this is your assigned husband you're pledged to him so in the minds of the people publicly a betrothal was very binding and that's why it required a certificate of divorce to be released from the betrothal. And given that you were considered pledged to that person, any activity toward the opposite sex or any intermingling romantically with anyone else was viewed at that point as adultery. And understand, according to Old Testament law, Deuteronomy 22, adultery in that culture was punishable by death. 
You were taken to the center of town and you were stoned to death by the people for what was perceived in their minds as a most grievous, horrific act of selfishness. Adulterers were actually stoned in that culture. So these things are an important background because here we have in our story Joseph and Mary who the Bible upholds as two very godly young people who love the Lord. They're now betrothed to be married. They've entered into that period. They love the Lord. They're doing things right. They're in love with one another like any young couple. They're excited what the future holds and soon they're going to be joined together. The time's just around the corner and everything is happening according to plan. We love the Lord. We did it right. We're, we're about to be married and enjoy a future together and everything's just as it should be. And then we read here in verse 18, notice before, keyword, before they came together, that is physically to consummate the marriage and to seal it as a husband and a wife through the marriage feast and sexual intimacy. Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. So notice, after the betrothal, but yet before they come together, it says here, she's now found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. Let me read to you Luke's account. It fills in the details of what happened on Mary's side that Joseph's not aware of yet. We'll see. Luke 1 says this. Let me just read it to you. It says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I don't know a man? And the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, that holy one who is to be born to you will be called the son of God. Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, is conceived in her old age and is in the sixth month who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. And Mary responded, behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. Now, at this point, after she gets the news that the power of God is going to come upon her life and she is going to conceive miraculously. And she understood what was being said to her. She was going to conceive miraculously the Savior, the Son of God. This was the longing of every Jewish girl in that day's greatest desire that they could bring the Savior that God had promised into the world, the Messiah, the Deliverer. She now gets this announcement. Here's what's going to happen miraculously that as the power of God comes upon her, she'd conceive in her womb God's own son. And at this point, Mary submits to this. And the Bible tells us in the account that she then goes out of town for the next three months and goes and visits her relative Elizabeth. So she separates for the next three months. She leaves town, I think probably maybe to just kind of go sort all this out because how are you going to try and explain this one now that you're pregnant and supposedly no human being was involved? So she goes and sees Elizabeth for three months 
And as she comes back from visiting her Elizabeth, her relative, she returns to her hometown and now she's a few months pregnant and she's showing physically. This is what it means when it says there to us in verse 18, she was found with child. After she's betrothed, before the marriage is happening, now she's found to be pregnant. She's discovered, wait a minute, Mary's showing. Mary's, Mary's pregnant. And everybody's putting the pieces together. She comes back into her hometown. Now, can you imagine, just be real here, imagine that process between her and Joseph. Imagine as she comes back, they've been separated for three months, they're a young couple in love, they're engaged, and she comes back into town and, and he first recognizes she's pregnant. Can you imagine all the human emotions, the shock? I mean, the, the, the instant just disappointment, the hurt, the anger. Here's the woman you love that you're about to get married to. She's been away for three months out of town and she comes back and she's pregnant? Instantly, his mind thinks the worst. I mean, last I checked naturally, it's not possible to get pregnant unless you've been intimate with someone else. It's not naturally possible. So Joseph, you have to understand, all the emotions, the feelings, the disappointment and hurt that he's going through. Imagine the, the, the awkward discussions that had to happen between the two of them. Mary, what, what, I don't know what happened. I, and, and the awkwardness of their trying to, in their humanity, and she, having received a message from the Lord, trying to tell Joseph, listen, Joseph, I promise it's God. I promise. And, and trying for Joseph to believe that, right? I mean, logically, that would be hard to believe. This, this is something that supersedes natural things and logical reasoning. So imagine how awkward this was. So here's Joseph now in our story. His ideal plan in his mind has been drastically disrupted. He's confronted now with what in his life is a real challenging situation and a big change that he was never anticipating was going to come to pass in his life. Yet all the while, listen, that big change is actually God orchestrating something for his life. And Joseph had no idea that what he just found and discovered, because he doesn't perceive it yet, is actually something that God himself is involved in. And listen, this morning, by way of application, perhaps recently you have found out something. And you found out something that you never thought would have been a part of your life. Perhaps something has happened or something you've experienced that you were never expecting was going to happen. But yet it came into your life. Maybe this last year, you find yourself at Christmas and you're thinking, I never thought this is where my life would be this next Christmas. And perhaps recently you found or discovered something in your life or maybe some change has happened recently. Could it be possible, listen, that perhaps God, who's controlling all things, who ultimately knows what's best, could it be that change or challenge is actually something that God's orchestrating and you just don't see all the details yet? Well, look as our story goes on. Joseph's faced with a legitimate challenge. Humanly, everything seems to indicate the absolute worst. So verse 19 says, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. So Joseph's struggling through this process, trying to decide, how do I handle this difficulty? 
What do I do with this unplanned for change, which actually was God's plan for his life, but he doesn't realize it yet? Again, remember Deuteronomy 22, I said, tells us that the person guilty of adultery could justifiably brought to the center of town and stoned to death publicly for that shameful deed of their infidelity. Yet Joseph, though he's utterly heartbroken, he loves Mary. And what's more than that, it tells us here in the Bible, verse 19, that Joseph was a just man. That means he was a righteous man. He was a godly man who loved the Lord and always wanted to honor God in the way that he lived. And as a result, he doesn't want to subject Mary, it seems, to being a public example. He doesn't want to, unfortunately, shame her despite what's going on. And he thinks it's something that's the worst at this point. Uh, and this would not only greatly shame her and potentially risk the, the, the uh, survival of her life, but if nothing else, even if she wasn't stoned to death, to be exposed for adultery, no man likely in that culture would ever want to marry Mary again. It would cause her to be banished to a life of singleness and to shame and tremendous guilt in that culture. A lonely life where as a woman she would struggle to provide for herself and for this child that she now was apparently carrying and, and life would be very difficult. And that's why it says, verse 19, that Joseph was minded, that is he was thinking about in his mind, putting her away secretly as privately as possible. Again, Deuteronomy 24 said that you could write a certificate of divorce if there was adultery and infidelity and there could be a cessation, if you were the victimized party, there could be a cessation of that marriage relationship and you could be freed from that if you had been the victim of someone who committed adultery. So Joseph's realizing, I do have this right, and he's thinking, perhaps, uh, how can I do this as quietly and as peaceably as possible to in some way, perhaps, minimize the shame and the ramifications, hoping that maybe by his mercy, Mary could at least maybe make the best of the rest of her life now that she's gotten pregnant. And maybe she could just go away somewhere and somehow the, the minimal amount of consequences would come upon her and he's wanting to be merciful and gracious. And let me just say, listen, thank goodness that Joseph was a godly and a just and a righteous man. And here's the reason why. Listen, because that's what led him, despite the feelings he was experiencing, which were very real and legitimate in his life right now, Despite all the feelings that he was going through, he took time to pause and to patiently ponder and to really, I think, pray through what to do. And because Joseph opted to be merciful and try and honor God in the situation, not only did he spare Mary, but more, he spared the child that she was carrying in her womb that was the savior of the world. Thank goodness that Joseph was willing, though he didn't have all the details, to want to honor God over his own personal feelings and experiences in that moment. Because of that, Joseph kept back from something that would have been incredibly destructive and ruinous in many ways to levels beyond what we could even imagine. And let me just say from Joseph's experience, let us learn some valuable lessons from Joseph's life. And those become this. First of all, take time to pause and to ponder and to pray whenever an unexpected situation arises. Don't just react. Respond. Things are going to happen. In this situation, a lot of it's a tremendous misunderstanding still at this point. 
because all the details haven't been discussed yet and Joseph's not fully aware of exactly what's taking place and he's thinking the worst. And listen, when an unexpected situation arises, don't just react in your feelings. Your, take time. Put things in park. Pray. Be patient. Ponder. Then let the response be what comes from a response of pausing and praying, not just reacting. And, and also, don't react just again in your human emotions and reasoning. Instead, when something happens, say, God, what would honor you in this situation? I know what would feel good to me right now, God. But what would honor you in this situation? What would be the righteous thing to do in this situation? And despite what you're faced with, seek to honor God and as well, like Joseph here, seek to show mercy. Listen, you can never lose if you err on the side of grace. I would much rather get to heaven one day and God say, there is one thing I'm a little bit upset with you about. You are a little bit too merciful sometimes. You are a little bit too gracious sometimes. I'd much rather God than, than, than God say, you are the opposite. You're always so severe. You just cut everybody's you know, legs out from under them. As soon as they upset you or did so, that's it. I'm done with you. Done with you. Show mercy. Joseph here incredibly wounded and hurting, but yet he wants to show mercy to Mary in this situation. Look how the story goes on. Verse 20 says, But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So look what happens. As Joseph's thinking this through, he allows time for God to speak to him. Because he pauses and he's patient, he gives God an opportunity to speak to him, and that results in a lot of things becoming clear that he really needed to know about. And all of a sudden now, he's given some light, and things start to change for the good. As Joseph's sleeping, it says that God sends an angel of the Lord to speak a message to him in a dream. And as this angel of the Lord comes with a message from heaven, there's some really insightful things that heaven wanted Joseph to know about in the situation. We see a few things particularly here. First of all, notice that he's given a reminder. It says that the angel addresses him as Joseph, notice, son of David. Now, why is that reminder important? Because Joseph needed to remember he was in the family line of King David and 2 Samuel 7 said that the Messiah, the Savior that God was sending into the world was going to come through the family line of David. In other words, he's reminding him, Joseph, uh, remember that Messiah thing? It's supposed to happen in your family line. Joseph, son of David. Maybe what Mary's telling you is true. And then he goes on to give him a request to obey as well. He says, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife. Joseph, this isn't sin. This isn't a scandal. Joseph, you need to still marry Mary and still go through with what you are going to. Take her to you as your wife. He's saying, don't be fearful of what's happening and what you may not understand. Follow through with what you originally intended is what God's saying here. By faith. Because at this point, Joseph is hesitating and he's thinking, well, what I was going to do, I don't know now. Maybe I shouldn't do it. And what God is saying to Joseph now, don't be afraid to move forward in faith. Do what you originally intended, Joseph. This is the right thing. Trust the change. It's actually part of God's plan and God's purpose. He's saying, don't be afraid what might happen if you go forward with that. Don't be concerned about what people are going to say about you. He's saying, move forward in faith. Honor your decision, Joseph. And the other thing that happens is notice he's also given a valuable revelation in the end of verse 20 and verse 21. 
It says that the, he was revealed to him, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid. But then look at this. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit and she'll bring forth a son. Call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He receives confirmation from God's throne. This isn't sin. This is actually God sending the Savior. And he says here, this is very important, that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. In other words, Joseph, God is actually the one bringing this to pass. Joseph, this is not something of the flesh. This is actually the work of the Spirit of God that's happening right now. This change, this unplanned for thing, this situation that you never expected. He's saying, look, this isn't of the flesh. This is actually an orchestration of God by his spirit. This is conceived of the Holy Spirit. What's being told to Joseph in his personal life is, Joseph, God's behind this. Oh, it couldn't be. No, Joseph, God is behind this. God's behind what's going on. This is actually something that is a part of the will of God, so embrace it as the will of God. And perhaps this morning, the Lord perhaps has been speaking maybe to you in a similar way. Maybe recently, he's been reminding you of some promise in your life or some promise from his word that's in regards to what's going on in your life right now. Believe the promise. Remember the promise. Perhaps recently, the Lord has been requesting of you in some way in your life, saying to you like Joseph, not to be afraid of what you're facing, not to pull back or, or you know, hesitate, but maybe the Lord is saying, no, don't pull back. Go forward in faith. Do what you originally intended. Walk forward in faith. Don't let the change disrupt you. Move forward in faith and do what you were going to do initially. And maybe he's wanting to verify to you that what is happening is actually just something that God is orchestrating. And that it's not something of the flesh, but it's a work of the Spirit. And maybe God is saying to one of you, I'm the one bringing this to pass. Let me bring it to pass. Let my will be done, accept it as a part of the sovereign plan of God. Well, Joseph also got some further revelation that was very helpful, as I said, because he says that he was told to call the child's name Jesus. That's critical. Because Jesus is a compound name that basically means Jehovah is salvation. Or better, God is salvation. It indicated who Jesus was. God who became salvation. The very God we sin against actually became our salvation for us. By Jesus coming and living among us to be the Savior. So as Christmas, as we celebrate God's love, we celebrate that God humbly came to this earth to provide salvation to a people who had sinned against him. And that God condescended and came in his great love for us and humbly came as a baby to provide salvation. Notice they're told why Jesus came there as well in the end of verse 21. Here's why. For he will save his people from their sins. Please take notice of that, ladies and gentlemen. That statement indicates why Jesus was born. See, every one of us in the room were born to live. Jesus was born to die. Jesus was actually born to die. He was born just so that he could live the sinless, perfect life that I can't live, that you can't live, and so that then he could sacrificially give his life in place of ours and he could take the punishment as he died as a man, sinless and righteous upon the cross, so that all the punishment that we deserve for our sins in this life 
could all be placed upon him so that we could be spared from hell and damnation and have the opportunity to have access into heaven and eternal life as Jesus was born to die in our place out of his love for us to take that punishment that we deserve which tells us a few things this Bible statement here tells us a few biblical truths he shall save his people from their sins guess what that means first of all we all have sin we're all sinful the Bible says we all sin and fall short of the glory of God the Bible tells us that there's no difference we all miss the mark thought, word, or deed you only have to make a mistake one time you break one law you're a lawbreaker well I'm not as bad as them it doesn't matter They're, they broke lots of laws you broke one in the court system you're still a lawbreaker to the judge you're still a lawbreaker everybody is and listen it only takes one sin to keep you out of heaven and to send you to hell we're all sinful and because we're all sinful, we need to realize that our sinfulness, despite what we perceive it, is something that we must also be saved from. He shall save his people from their sins. That means something. Sin has an eternal consequence. We have to be saved from our sins. We must be saved from our sins. It's a necessary thing. That's why it says of Jesus, he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we must believe that Jesus came to save us from our sins. And we must receive the salvation that Jesus offers to us in our lives. We have to at some point admit these things are true. I'm a sinful person. Jesus is the one Savior that God sent in his great love for me. And Jesus died for my sins and rose again. And therefore, I must admit I need to be saved and to receive the salvation that only Jesus can supply to me. Let me illustrate it this way. If somebody is tied down to a set of railroad tracks right there in the center of the aisle and a train's bearing down on them about a mile away and you say to them, listen, something really bad's going to happen. In the near future, you are going, you, you, you're going to die. I, I'd, like to, I'd like to save you. Can I cut you loose and, and save you? I'm, I'm here to save you. It's not, no, I don't, I, don't, I don't see any train. I know you don't see the train, but trust me, destructions coming towards you. you that person legitimately needs to be saved and you can try and convince them but if they say I don't need you to save me I don't want to be saved I'm fine I'll figure it out myself I'm hoping the goods and the bads will weigh itself out or I just maybe the train will stall or I mean they can come over there the reality is if they don't want to be saved they won't be saved you have to admit you need to be saved and want to be saved and ask to be saved. That's what the Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We all must do that at some point in our lives. This is what we celebrate and appreciate at Christmas, that Jesus made this available to us, but we must receive it for our lives at some point. Well, verse 22 says, and all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, quoting Isaiah 7, behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Notice what appeared on the surface initially, circumstantially, to be a big problem that was challenging everybody that was going through the process actually was God's plan coming to pass. Matthew tells us here that this actually lined up with God's word and it was a fulfillment of a prophecy, listen, that was 700 years old. That God, 700 years prior to this time, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, predicted that one day he would come to this earth to provide salvation and the way he would do it would be very unmistakable. 
Virgins don't conceive children very often. So God said, I'll make it real obvious for you. A virgin is going to conceive a child in her womb by God miraculously, supernaturally putting the life of his own son by a miracle of God in the womb of a virgin woman so that Jesus could be born being, listen, fully God and fully man at the same time so that he could be in touch with heaven and he could reach down and be in touch with humanity on earth and reconcile God and man to one another. And so here we see how Jesus came and why Jesus came. Notice this predictive prophecy from Isaiah also tells us a few things. First of all, it tells us who Jesus was. It says that they were to call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's who Jesus was. Jesus was God in human flesh among us. The God of creation, listen, took on a second nature, a human nature. He never ceased to be God. But the God of all creation took upon himself flesh and blood and bones and took on a second nature, a human nature, and dwelt among us and lived with us so that he could reveal to us what he was really like. And of all things, to come in a humble form of a baby, the God of all power and glory, so that no one should feel intimidated to come to God. He comes as a lowly baby to a poor Jewish family and lives among us and shows us what God is like and then ultimately dies in our place for our sins upon the cross. This is who Jesus was, the God of all creation dwelling among us so that he could be the mediator, the perfect mediator between humanity and between God so that we could be reconciled. But it also tells us as well, not just who Jesus was, but what God's heart is. Do you see that phrase there in verse 23? That he is God with us. That tells us what God's heart is. Here is it. God wants to be with us. He wants to be with us. This is the heart of our loving God. He wants a relational, intimate experience with every one of us. In an intimate way, like a relationship between a husband and a wife or a parent and a child or two friends, God wants to be with you in your life. Oh, I don't want to be Christian. I don't want to be religious. religious. I don't like religion either. Neither does God. Oh, it's a bunch of rules. No, God doesn't like rules either. If rules work, do you think he would have sent Jesus to come and die and suffer and be spit upon and beaten and brutalized if you could just follow a few rules or I could keep a few rules? God wants relationship. God just wants to be a part of your life. He wants to be in your everyday experience directly involved helping and guiding you. And look, last I checked, we all need a little help. Every one of us. And think of the marvelous reality. God with us. In Jesus, God can be with us. He can be with us in our lives. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, that is the solution and the help for so many things. Loneliness. You know, holidays, sometimes people really struggle with loneliness. Listen, God's with you and God can be with you and his presence can fill the void of another. God is with you. You're not alone. God is with you. Maybe it's you know feeling empty and miserable. Listen, perhaps the reason you're empty and miserable is because the void in your heart that you don't realize is you were made for God. And if you let God be with you, God will take away the emptiness and there'll be a sense of inner fulfillment. All of us in this room, we have our own weaknesses and struggles. Maybe you're struggling with some sin or some area of your life. You know, I just can't do this. I just can't do this. And God says, that's okay. Because with God... Nothing will be impossible. The key is with God. 
if you let God be with you, nothing will be impossible because he has all power to help and to assist. And God wants to be with us. He wants to be with you this morning in a personal way. Well, look how our story closes. Verse 24, Joseph, it says, hearing these things, aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. And he took to him his wife. And he did not know her, as in an intimate sense, until she had brought forth her firstborn Son, the Bible tells us afterwards that they had a normal relationship, had other children as well after Jesus was born. And he called his name Jesus. So look, as our story comes to a close, Joseph chose, verse 24 and 25 tell us, to believe the word of the Lord that was given to him. He heard what God said to him and he believed what God said to him. And in relation to that, he responded in obedience. He embraced God's calling upon his life, which included a few things. First of all, it says he took Mary as his wife. He responded obediently. He took Mary as his wife, though she was now pregnant with the Son of God. He embraced all that went with that commitment. And listen, with that commitment, there was going to be a lot of misunderstanding. There's a lot of other people who mocked and criticized. Oh, sure. Yeah, you have, you have God in your belly. Mm-hmm. I mean, can you imagine that? What these two went through? And he, he embraced it. I don't care what goes along with it. I will embrace God's will. Let the world mock. I will accept God's plan for my life. Let the world criticize, reject. Listen, the reason some people this morning won't follow Jesus Christ is just because they're afraid of being mocked or criticized. Can I encourage you? You're still going to be criticized. Everybody gets criticized for something. I'd rather be criticized for the right reasons. I'd rather know that it is well with my soul and I'm right with God and God's with me. Because the Bible says if God's with me, who can be against me? Or as I like to say, who cares? Right? <laughs> who cares? God's with me. <laughs> so he embraced the will of God. And notice that also meant becoming the human stepfather of the Lord Jesus to be the guardian of the very son of God in the womb of Mary. And interesting, notice, Joseph, it says in the text, or even restrained his physical desires towards Mary as a legitimate husband. It says there, look at it in the text, verse 25, until she brought forth her firstborn son. So Joseph in faith to honor God and embrace God's will, even for a season, denied his own desires as a man with his legitimate wife until Jesus, the Son of God, was born. And why? The purpose, so that there never need be a question through history, who is really the father of Jesus Christ? It was not Joseph. It was God, the father, that put the life of his son into Mary's womb. And so Joseph here, wanting to honor God and embrace God's will, does these things. I love this story of Joseph because he embraces what God's doing and he yields his life to Jesus and what the presence of Jesus was doing. And he just yields to the will of the Lord and the presence of Jesus and he cared more about the purposes of God than pleasing himself. And he was willing to embrace what God wanted for his life. That was his foremost concern. And my question to you this morning would be this. What matters most to you, truly, at Christmas? What matters most? I hope that by the grace of God that you would make a choice in faith to say what matters most is the will of God and, and yielding to Jesus and doing what honors the Lord. Because I'll tell you, you do that, you can have a really great Christmas. Would you pray with me?